Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is so great to see you all. Thank you so much for being here. Week three in a series we started a few weeks ago called Yourself. We've been talking about this idea that the biggest and best breakthroughs that are going to happen in your life are going to start on the inside of you. They're going to come from within yourself, not on the outside of yourself. As a matter of fact, some of the biggest changes you wish would happen on the outside of you in your relationships, your relationship with God, with uh, your ability to, to achieve and to do better and to have more peace and all these things that you wish would manifest out here, they're all going to come from on the inside of you. This is where they come from. They don't come out there. They come from in here. And I hope that you've been seeing that through this series. If you've missed any of it, you can catch it online at brazosfellowship.com and get caught up with us. But today, we're going to start with another, I feel, compelling question that we all need to be able to answer or at least wrestle to the ground and think about today. And I hope that it, this provides some peace as we give a really solid answer to this question. Here's the question we're going to ask. How do you determine your self-worth? In other words, how do you measure for you personally success? Everybody's got one. Everybody's got some kind of standard that they're working off of. Everybody's got something that they would consider this is the stamp of approval that tells me I'm a good guy, I'm a good girl, I'm doing well, I'm succeeding, I'm being successful, I'm being a good dad, good mom, good wife, husband, I'm being a good employee, employer, I'm doing good. I'm doing well, a good follower of Jesus. What, what does that look like for you? When is that? Because we all have it, and this is such an important question to be able to answer. Now, in our culture today, the most popular piece of advice or counsel that's given in our world today is this. Like, when it comes to you um, being successful in your life, here's what you need to do. You need to figure out who you want to be and go be that person. Because it really only matters what you think of you. And you should create your own standard morally, spiritually, sexually. You come up with your own standard. You do whatever you want. And if you will do that, you won't care what people think and what they say about you. That's the kind of going pervasive. You'll see this on just about every talk show, about every, uh, you know, whether it's radio, talk show, television, whatever, you're going to see this in lots of books. You create that yourself. Now, um, really what we're talking about today, if we can kind of boil it down a little further, we're really talking about ego. And here's how we define ego. Ego is simply your opinion of yourself. Ego is kind of neutral. You can have things that build up, puff up. We say, oh, wow, that was a real ego boost. Or we say, oh, that really deflated my ego, something that happens. But ego is really just your opinion of yourself. Now, here's what we know about ego, and, and I mean just the greater humanity, the, the human race, what we've discovered about ego. If you base your opinion of yourself on the wrong thing, you will struggle the rest of your life. You will never feel like you are enough. You will constantly be striving to become or to get 
to gain, to have, to achieve, to accomplish, to be related to, or to have the right person love you, or to possess, to have enough money, to have enough things, to have the right things, to drive the right things, to live in the right place. And we will always have some standard by which we look to to say, this is what shapes my opinion of myself. I know that there's this one like church answer over here, but let's be honest, there's a whole different one that we adopt out in the world. As a matter of fact, even if you don't adopt one, one will be given to you. One will be placed upon you. It will be thrust upon you. It's a default setting of the world that you and I will gain for how we form an opinion about ourselves. And as a matter of fact, this is not new. This is not unique to us. It's not unique to our country or even to this century. This has been with us as long as there's been people. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament addresses it with one of the churches he helped start in the city of Corinth. In this 1 Corinthian letter, he's talking to the people who have gotten into this headbutt conflict within the church over, we're better than you. And they have this measuring stick for how they were determining who's better and who's not as good within the church. And this is how they would do it. They would look at who is your kind of like spiritual father or spiritual mentor. And some people would say, oh, well, mine is the Apostle Paul, the great miracle-working Apostle Paul. I mean, he's the guy that won me to Christ. He's the guy that, like, I owe my faith to this guy. And others would say, no, 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 mine is Peter. I'm talking about the OG, original disciple, way back, like throwing nets, and Jesus came and counted, you know, like, that, that, that's, my, that's who I follow. And the other people say, no, 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 who's better than both of those guys? Apollos, he's so eloquent, he's such a good preacher, oh my goodness, he's amazing, that's who I follow. And Paul's like saying, you people have gotten it all wrong. You're trying to look for a way to puff up, you're, you're looking for a way to keep your ego like where you think it ought to be, and you're actually hurting yourself and hurting others. This is what he had to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. So he was already kind of talked about this, that Peter, Apollos, and myself, I'm making an illustration that you guys are using a measuring stick to tell you whether you're good or not, whether you're valid or not, whether you're worth something or not. And he's saying, <clears throat> um, if you pay attention to what I have quoted from Scripture, you won't be, let's say it together, you won't be proud, Right? of one of your leaders at the expense of the other, right? He's, he's going, why are you putting, pitting us against each other? We're all on the same team. We all work for the same boss. We all have the same coach, right? We're all, we're working. Why are you doing this? This is kind of crazy. And he goes on to say this in the next verse. He says, for what gives you the right to make such a judgment? Who put you in charge? Who made you? Like you volunteered. You like appointed yourself as saying, oh, this is going to be our new measuring set. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to determine who's successful, who's not, who's important, who has self-worth, and who doesn't. He says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? Think about that question. Every good and perfect gift, James 1 tells us, comes down from our Father from the heavenly lights comes down from God, he says, and, and the implied answer is nothing. <laughs> nothing you have has, uh, that you have hasn't been given by God. It's all been given by God. And if everything you have is from God, why, let's say it together, why boast, brag about as if it were not a gift, like somehow you conjured it up. 
You, you are the one who created this opportunity. You're the one who made this happen. You're the one. Like, you're the one that should get the glory because you get the credit and you should, you're the one that did it. He's going, really? You haven't thought this through very well, have you? This feels very shallow. This feels very adolescent, the way that you're behaving towards each other. Now, what I'd like to do is back up in the verse for just a minute and look at one of the words that he used earlier. He tells them not to be proud. Now, this word proud in the New Testament from its Greek origin literally means to overinflate. It's something that is swollen. It is distended beyond its proper size. Now, I think that Paul chose this word on purpose, especially for this last part of the definition, distended beyond its proper size. Immediately, I don't know about you, but I begin to think about a human organ that is distended. You usually see it in third world countries where people have, uh, you know, maybe an... uh, uh, a parasite or some kind of, you know, amoebic dysentery, different things within them that creates an air pocket inside their body that swells up their belly, swells up the organ to the point where it is excruciatingly painful and it is way bigger than it actually should be. It is way bigger than it was intended to be, bigger than the healthy size. And it's very obvious to anybody who sees it, like, that's, that shouldn't be like that. And, and it's painful. And Paul is basically saying that is exactly what the, the condition of the human ego looks like. That is its normal and natural condition of the human ego, is to overinflate, to be swollen, to be distended to a point where it is painful, where it is hurtful to you and to other people. It's interesting that Paul's saying, and I want to pay close attention to this, and so him using this word and using this word picture actually tells us two things. It teaches us two things about the condition of the human ego, and I want to talk about them real quick. The first one is that the human ego is painful. Many times, because it is swollen, if you think about the human body, any part of your physical body that draws attention to itself, it's drawing attention to itself nine times out of ten because something's wrong. It's not right. It's hurting, and you need to get it addressed by a doctor or somebody needs to take a look at it because it's not right. It's not healthy. It's not as its intended purpose. And Paul's saying, and this is what's happening with your ego. It's overinflating. It's, it's, it's painful at times. And here's what that looks like day to day for you and I. We become ex- excessively um, uh, sensitive to the way that people are perceiving us. How are they treating us? How are they talking to us? Did I like that interaction? How did they make me feel? Oh, they made me feel really good. How do I look today? I hope people recognize, I got a new haircut. Did anybody say anything? Oh, they didn't say that. My spouse didn't even say anything. Now I'm a little hacked, you know, like I'm a little upset. And what's funny how we can have our ego is out there and we don't even realize it and it's so sensitive and it can get hurt so easily. But many times the way we interpret that, we say, oh, my feelings got hurt. We'll say, my feelings got hurt. Well, if you think about it for a second, your feelings technically can't get hurt. Your feelings are just your feelings. What actually got hurt was your ego, okay? It was your self-image took a hit. 
something, said something, somebody did something that offended you, hurt you, got on your nerves, that was, you didn't agree with, it goes against your political views, or against your religious views, or whatever, and oh, I don't, mm, mm, I don't like that. That doesn't make, it gets you all fired up, doesn't it? It gets you all mad, and, and you, it's hard to know what to do with that. And here's the thing, that if, as we go through a, just a normal day in our life, it is almost impossible not to get snubbed, even if people don't mean to, or to get ignored at times, or to feel like, oh, I made a stupid mistake. I did something dumb. I feel stupid. And to kind of get down on yourself because of what someone did or didn't do, or something you did or didn't do, and you kind of begin to get down on yourself, and we start to get down on ourselves, and it becomes this kind of spiral down, and we start questioning our worth and our value and our approval in the eyes of others or in a, as an organization or whatever, or even in ourselves. And we start to spiral down and we start to question. And because our ego is drawing attention to itself over and over, showing us this is not right. This is something's wrong here. Something's messed up. It's too painful. It shouldn't be this painful, right? And that's the first thing Paul's showing us. Here's the second thing that our ego, he's showing us about our ego, is that it is so fragile. It's so fragile. You think about anything that is overinflated, it's at great danger of being what? <laughs> right? Deflated at some point. It's overinflated. Anything that's overinflated could be deflated very, very easily. You know, you got a beach ball that's way, way, way over pumped up. I mean, any little sharp thing is going to pop that thing. You know what I mean? Ego is the same way. Have you ever been around people where you could almost offend them with anything you say? It's like walking on eggshell. You have to be so careful. That ego is huge, right? And I guess what I'm saying to you is that without realizing it, for some of us in this room, we've been that person, right? We have been that. Maybe you're still that person right now. It's so fragile. And it's not just us. It's even people that we might say in their respective fields are insanely successful, at least by the standard of the measurement of that particular industry. And I came across an article recently by the pop singer Madonna. Now, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you know who I'm talking about. Today, I don't know, you know, who, who really knows who Madonna, but Madonna's been around for a long time. And here's what's interesting about Madonna. The 2000 Guinness Book of World Records named her as the most successful solo female artist of all time. She had sold more albums, it's like over 300 million at that time, uh, albums. Insanely successful. But in an interview with Vogue magazine, Madonna like, kind of dropped her guard and revealed something that was really kind of amazing. She said this, she says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, quote unquote, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. By all accounts, that woman has reached the pinnacle of her industry. So, so, so successful. And she's telling us something here. And I know you may look at that and say, well, of course Madonna's going to say that, something like that. She's neurotic, right? You know, like, but I'm like, just hang on for just a second. Because I think what she's saying right here actually reveals she knows herself better than most. 
She's really done some soul searching. She at least has come to a conclusion here about herself. And she says, every time I do something I think is great, and everybody's patting me on the back saying, you're great, you're amazing. I wake up the next day and I don't feel great. It starts all over. I'm like starting over from zero. I have to do something great all over again. The burden of trying to, to prove that I'm somebody, that I have worth, it never ends. Like my ego is insatiable. It's like this black hole, no matter how much I throw into it, how much I give to it, it will never, ever, ever be satisfied. Never satiated. And this is not just true for Madonna. It's true for every single one of us. All of us. At some time, we may not say it just like this, but have felt like if I could just achieve X, if I could just have this, if I could just do this, accomplish, achieve, get my marriage to this place, if I could just have my kids do blah, 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 and we think if I could just get there, and maybe you get there at some point, and you realize, oh, I didn't really do it either. What else do I need to do? What's the next goal line? What's the next finish line? Where's the next X? Where's the next target I need to shoot for? And it's a moving target. It's like chasing the sunset. You're just always, always, always behind. And, and some of you can totally relate to this because you have felt like this most of your life. I never quite measure up. And I know I'm not supposed to feel like this all the time, but I don't feel like I'm a good enough mother, a good enough dad. I don't feel like I'm a good enough spouse or husband, wife. I don't feel like I'm a good enough employee or good enough employer. I, I need to be a better son or daughter. I need to be a better, I need to be a better, I need to be a better. You're always trying to measure up to a certain measurement that you have put upon yourself or somebody has. And Paul, to all of that struggle that he sees in the human race, he says, let me propose a different approach that I think could set you free. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us. Let's say it together, as servants of Christ. Now, who is a servant concerned with pleasing? Their master, right? He's saying, me, Apollos, Peter, we're all servants of the same master. And it's Christ. And as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. What were the mysteries? The mystery that God has extended his salvation to all the world through Jesus Christ. And there's still many, many, many millions and millions of people that don't know this mystery. He's saying, I need to, I need to share it with. Still to this day, we still need to share that mystery with more people. And he says, and this is what I have come to impart to you so that you can impart it to other people. But we're servants. First and foremost, you need to understand that. Don't pit us against each other. And he's saying, and this is so important, please don't miss this. He says, I care very little if I am, let's say it together, if I am judged by you or by any human court. I don't really care. He says, I don't even judge, oh, pardon me, I don't even, let's say it together, judge myself. And he ends by saying this in verse 4. He says, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent which is a word that means justified, to be justified. It is the Lord who judges me. I want to back up and look at this word judge for just a minute. Here's how judge is defined. It's a verdict or stamp of approval. That's what it means. He's saying that, 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 that so many people are looking for, they want, we all crave somebody, something to give us that stamp of approval, something to give us the ultimate verdict to say, you're fine, you're okay, you've done a good job, you're good, you're in the clear. 
And Paul's saying, and they're looking everywhere. And essentially, here's what Paul's saying. He says, I don't care what you think. Now, I may love you, but I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think. I only care what God thinks. Think about that for a second. I don't care what you think. I love you, but I don't care. My life doesn't rise and fall upon your opinion of me. I don't even care what my opinion of me is. I only care about God's opinion of me. And if someone were to sit down with Paul and say, no, Paul, here's what you need to do. Forget all that. Here's what you need to do. You need to adopt our philosophy. Figure out who you want to be. Go be that. You know, it only matters what you think, and you need to set your own moral standard, your own spiritual standard, sexual standard, whatever you want to do, it goes. You just, you figure it out, and you do that. You go do you, right? That's what you need to do. That's what our culture says. And to, to that, Paul would say, you know what? It sounds like that would work. That sounds pretty clever. That see, it feels like you're kind of getting away. Like you can, yeah, that seems like it kind of would, you could probably pass for that. Like you, could, you could make that work, but I want to tell you something. It's a trap. It can never, ever deliver. You are relying upon your ego, your self-image, to define for you the standard for which you're going to live. And guess what? You can't even live up to that standard. You can't even do that. It will never deliver the verdict, the stamp of approval that your heart craves, that it longs for. It will never be enough for you. It will never define for you self-worth like you think it will. It won't come through for you. Let me just save you a whole lot of time, years and years of your life. Don't go down that road. It will mess you up. And here's what Paul says. He says, I have come to a place spiritually where I have a clear conscience. Verse 4. He says, I have a clear conscience, but that doesn't make me innocent. That doesn't make me justified. The thing that gives me a clear conscience or that, that makes me justified or makes me innocent, rather, is not your opinion. It is not my opinion, right? Like, so whose opinion is it? And this is what Paul says. He says, it's not your judgment. You can't justify me. No matter how great you think I am, you can never justify me. You can never be my verdict or my stamp of approval. I can't even justify me. The only one that can justify me, give me the ultimate verdict. And isn't this what everybody's looking for? What Paul was searching for, we're all looking for, an ultimate verdict to our life. Something that gives you that stamp of approval. Something that says you're worth something. You are valuable. You are important. You are significant, and you have a significant contribution to make in this life. Something to tell us that and assure us of that every single day. Because without that, ladies and gentlemen, you will go through every day on trial, every conversation, every situation. You're trying to prove yourself again. You're trying to make it okay. You're trying to make, you're, you're a good guy. You're a good girl, and I'm going to prove it to them, and I'm going to show them Every day you're on trial. And Paul shows us this beautiful secret. He's saying, I'm no longer on trial. I'm out of the courtroom. How did he do that? He says, I finally realized you can't justify me. I can't justify me. Only God can justify me. Only he can. And this is the beautiful thing about Christianity. The moment that we believe, the moment we place faith in Jesus, 
At that moment, God goes and takes the perfect performance of Jesus, sinless perfection, and he comes and ascribes it to us as if it were our own. He makes it as if it is ours. And then he adopts us into his family. He says, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter from here on. And nothing can ever take that away from you. Nothing, no one can ever pluck you out of my hand, Jesus says. No one, never, ever, you don't have to strive for this. And now all of a sudden, God's opinion of you, his judgment, his stamp of approval on you is the exact same as he has for his son, Jesus. And what was his approval rating of Jesus? We're given it over and over in the New Testament. One of the first places was in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, right after Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water, and God from heaven speaks. Everybody there hears it. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am, let's say it together, I am well pleased. I am well pleased. So when you trust Jesus Christ for salvation... For the forgiveness of your sins. He looks at him and he says, this is my son whom I love. In you I am well pleased. This is my daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You are my child. With you I am well pleased. He sees and he ascribes the value. The, the theological idea is the imputed righteousness of Jesus is given upon us. It's ascribed to us. It's credited to us. We didn't deserve it. We cannot earn it. We fail in the, in the courtroom. We, we can't. But he did it for us. Paul says it another way in his letter to the Roman church, the Roman Christians. He says, you don't have to struggle with your identity and your ego anymore because now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So why are you dragging it back on yourself? Why do you keep walking back into the courtroom trying to prove yourself over and over, justify yourself over and over. Look what I've done. Look what I have. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I have. Look what my kids can do. Look what my parents We're constantly one-upping everybody. If not in our minds, we may not say it out loud all the time, but we're doing it. He's saying, you don't have to do that anymore. You're free. And now, here's the beautiful like, release that comes from this. You can start doing wonderful things just for the joy of doing them. Not in order to try to look good or to gain approval from people or yourself or from any other human court or anybody. He says you can just start doing great things, not to try to fill a void or a hole in your heart or to try to make yourself feel important or worth something. You can do it simply as a gift and as a joyful response. You see, you're not working towards a verdict you're working from a verdict. Do you see a difference there? Is that we now can live a life from a victorious verdict, not in hopes of one. If I'm a good enough guy, maybe God will show his good graces on me. That's not how it works. That's never been how it works. Jesus uh, showed us that. Paul reiterates it in every one of his letters to the Corinthians, to the Romans, the Philippians, to the Colossians, the Galatians. It's God's grace. It's God's grace through his son Jesus. This is how we get in God's good graces. Through Jesus, not on our own merit, our own works. We can't do it on our own. And the beautiful thing is, it sets us free when we finally realize this. And I, if I can be really honest with you, I still have moments. I've caught myself even in the last week or two. 
I'm stressing out. I can feel my ego getting real sensitive, real fragile. I'm like, I got to, you know, there's something coming up, and it's like, this has got to be good. And I'm like, what am I doing back in the courtroom? Why am I back here on trial again? We have to remind ourselves, Jesus has already come and done this trial for us. He already paid the price, and he has, he has conquered all of the sentence and the penalty for our sin, and he offers back to us forgiveness, freedom, peace that comes from one who is justified, innocent, that one that doesn't have to justify, doesn't have to work through condemnation anymore. And he offers that back to us. Let me ask you today, where are you dragging yourself back into the courtroom? Where are you not working from a victorious verdict, but you're trying to work towards one? You're still, you can feel the ego is still hurt. You're easily offended. You're constantly thinking about yourself. It's self-focused, self How did she treat me? And how did they talk about me? And what did they say? And, and I'm looking at somebody else's pictures and they did this and I didn't get to do that. And why did I get invited? And why did... You know, here's what the interesting thing about somebody who really gets this, it's living this out, this living from a victorious verdict, they're almost impossible to offend because they're not thinking about themselves hardly ever. I, why? I don't need to. I'm free from that. Like, they're, they're, they're not always obsessing. If you talk to somebody who gets this, you'll come away from, going, from that conversation going, wow, the whole time they were interested in me. They were asking me about me. They were genuinely concerned about me. They were really concerned about what's going on. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about one-upping and, and let me tell you what I'm doing. And here, and Nothing wrong with the give and take of a conversation, but I'm just saying someone who gets this, ego is not guiding their conversations and their lives. It's not obsessing. It's not the thing that's drawing attention to itself over and over because it's distended, swollen, and unhealthy and over, overblown. It's someone who's gotten that under control and says it's not about me anymore. And you know what? It's awesome when it's not about me. I feel so healthy. I feel so excited to follow Jesus because there's so much more peace. There's so much more rest. There's so much more power in his love being able to flow through my life because I'm not obsessing over myself all the time. And I can finally get to a place where I'm learning the art of self-forgetfulness. I don't have to worry about me. I'm going to be good. I can focus on other. I can help. God, you use me to be a blessing to other people. What a revolutionary way to live. It's incredible. And I don't have to go around trying to live up to some arbitrary standard of, that you have, I have, that our society has. God's already given it to me. And now I want to serve him and I want to perform based on a verdict, not trying to achieve one someday. I want to obey him out of gratitude for what he's already done for me, not in hopes that maybe I can achieve it someday. Here's the prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply the application prayer of saying, Jesus, I confess my ego is still drawing attention to itself. Help me to stop going back into the courtroom trying to prove myself over and over and over. What a miserable way to live. I want to tell you today, court is adjourned. You can go home. You're free. You don't have to keep trying to live up to some arbitrary standard. He loves you. You're released to live for him. My victorious verdict is in you, Jesus. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.